welcome to Conversations with a Trailing Partner. It's 2021. 2020, the train wreck of a year is behind us, but we're still working our way through the wreckage. I feel I can't complain too much about 2020. I started this podcast in the middle of last year, so that's my silver lining, among other things. Looking back, despite the year that it's been, I have a lot to be grateful for. My family, we've been together, our health, Being in a country where we felt safe, despite being where the virus originated, infection rates have been kept under control, mortality rates relative to the population has been low, and we've returned to some semblance of normalcy, all things I'm truly grateful for. Another thing I feel quite fortunate about is that I don't work outside the home. I'm a stay-at-home mom with passions and interests, but since I don't bring in an income, I don't shoulder any financial responsibility. During the months when schools were closed and my daughter had virtual lessons, my husband worked from home, it was exhausting. We were in each other's faces all the time. My daughter was getting too much screen time and I felt I didn't have a moment to get a straight thought in my head. I almost begrudged my husband the hours he would spend in the study at the desk with the door closed, not to be disturbed while he worked, was in Zoom meetings and what have you. But then I thought, thank God I don't have to worry about anything like this. I'm losing my mind as it is. What if I had work to worry about on top of all of this? I can't even imagine. Sadly, this isn't the reality for a lot of women the world over. No one's been spared and working mums have been amongst the worst affected during the pandemic. Work from home, work at home, mind the kids, manage the home. It seems impossible. So I thought I'd have someone share their experience of being a working mum during the pandemic. My guest today is a trailing partner and a working mum. Her experience of the pandemic has been profound and dramatic, yet somehow she's navigated her way through a lot to return to her life in China. Let's speak to Lindsay. A word of caution, some F-bombs were dropped during this conversation, so maybe don't listen with your children around. Thank you so much for coming and You're agreeing welcome. to do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy uh, to be here. Uh, yeah, I think we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm <laughs> glad that we're finally doing it. It's, you know, the mom life schedule, right? It's like you have to cancel yeah. because the baby is sick or this or that. So we I, understand. Yes, yeah, Everybody yeah. knows. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll just start off. Tell us about yourself. Where okay. are you from? How long have you lived in China? Sure. Anything uh, else? Yeah. So uh, my name is Lindsay Mahan Rathnam. Uh, I originally grew up in northern Saskatchewan, Canada, where it's <laughs> much colder than here. Uh, uh, people are always telling me, you must be freezing cold because I never wear coats. But yeah, so I'm from Canada originally. Uh, I've been living in, in China. Oh, yeah. Well, that's kind of hard to answer. Actually living? Yeah, <laughs> sort of living with an apartment that was unused. Uh, so here, I'll try to make it make sense. So we came in February 2019. Okay. Um, my husband had arrived in China before I had, but I was about seven months pregnant with my second child when he started right. his job here at uh, Duke Kunshan University in uh, yeah. Kunshan. Uh, and I was like, I will give birth over the Pacific Ocean if I fly at seven and a half months pregnant, so I will see you later. Um, so Good decision. I, yeah, I think it was, but it ended up, you know, my husband was going back and forth for a little bit, and that's a bit of a long commute. Um, yeah. And we finally all came together as a family when my baby was two months old, my baby who's now a toddler. So that was February 
2019, wow. Um, and then we went to visit home for the summer, and then we came back, and then we went home again, yeah. and then we came back, and then we had three weeks, and then the pandemic hits, and yeah. we scattered all over the world and decided to like basically do a world tour, it seems like, <laughs> in response to the pandemic uncertainty. Yeah. So yeah, it's been off and on for that amount of time. Two yeah. years, roughly. Yeah. And 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 what brought you to China? Your sure yes. So uh, my husband's career started it. <laughs> um, my husband and I are both academics, so right. we had gone to graduate school, and that's where we met together at the University of Toronto. I'm mm-hmm. a political theorist. That's where I mm-hmm. did my degree. Uh, we uh, ended up doing a postdoc together at Emory University in Atlanta. Uh-huh. And academia is kind of like a strange beast. Where we got when I say we did a postdoc together, I mean we did one postdoc that we split <laughs> so okay. two people one job one salary can you do that uh, obviously. sometimes yeah I think uh, you know like it was a bit of an advantage but the thing is with academia with two partners in the same field especially it's very difficult to get jobs together yeah. anywhere near together so and it, that was something that we knew was going to be a challenge, but we didn't really know. We knew it intellectually, but didn't kind of live it. So when we yeah. got to like got to share a postdoc, it was a sort of strange thing where in academia we're like, that's amazing, how wonderful. But then like we're like, but it's two people, one salary, full time working, having so to work daycare. So you would be a job chef. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but also still trying to like work full time. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was it was a, it was a, I loved being in Atlanta. It was a, a fun city to live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but it's also you know a little bit lonely. Which is I can talk about like that as compared to China because it wasn't as much of a child friendly city as you know uh, I, as I'd felt Toronto had been where I'd been pregnant and I saw kids everywhere and you know there's maternity leave so there's a lot of programs for young but mothers. But that's Canada and the U.S. Canada and the U.S. differences. Yeah, yeah. I can I can talk comparatively about three different countries and <laughs> childcare. Uh, so yeah. Oh yes, we must. My goodness, lots yeah. of topics, lots of topics. Yeah. So we. Uh, we were doing the postdoc and my husband applied was slightly ahead of me on like where he was in the job market and he applied right. for this job at Duke Kunshan University mm-hmm. so we had accepted our postdoc had moved for a postdoc which was supposed to be a two year postdoc and my husband got a job to start the next year before I had even actually started doing my postdoc teaching so I hadn't even oh. gone on the job market officially as an academic and my husband right. got a tenure track job oh. in China Yeah, which on the one hand amazing wonderful for him it's a great university we're super excited it's kind of like you know uh, international global community it sounds it's it's like the even back then it sounded wonderful yeah what was less wonderful or rather more frightening for me actually is I felt like he's gotten a tenure track job are they gonna hire me too uh do I have a shot Hmm. or am I is my career kind of over before it's even started because you know we had a small child um, you I had know, Peter back then. We had then, Peter, yes. yes. We had right. one child. He uh, he was about 13 months old when my husband was offered this job. Uh, so we had, you know, we've got a small child. You know, some academic couples I know commute, but, like, I couldn't imagine commuting from China and Atlanta. You not know? commute. Yeah, that's not a commute that I really wanted yeah. to do. So there was, like... There were, there were some marital conversations. Like, we knew that, like, this sure. was a great job opportunity and it was a really yeah. exciting thing, but... 
there were some marital conversations. Can I just ask a yeah. question just to sort of, I mean, I think I know, but I'm not sure. When you say tenure track, yes. that means that you are on a, on track yes. to be a tenured professor? Yes, yes. Right. Okay. So that's part of like how academia works. Right. Um, those, those, it's, it, that's, that's the job you want coming out of grad school. Yeah. Because, um, you know, a lot of other positions are very precarious. So, yeah, of hmm. course, like it, it was a great university, made sense for my husband's career. So he took the job, obviously. But I was definitely feeling a little uncertain about what my future was going to hold. Sure. So for a while I thought, you know, maybe I should stay in Atlanta by myself with a one-year-old and finish my postdoc. Um, and then actually... Is that an easy decision? Well, you know, <laughs> speaking of illnesses and flus and fevers and all that, I, uh, my husband, while we were still trying to figure this out, went away to a academic conference, <laughs> one that he had applied to and I had missed the deadline for because I was uh, in the throes of baby care and a colicky baby when the deadline for this conference had come oh, up in man. the first place. Yeah. So he went to this conference, I was at home with our kid, and we both came down with the flu, a really high fever, and we oh, didn't dear. know anybody in Atlanta to kind of call upon. Yeah. So I was homesick <laughs> with a crazy fever, like kind of like delirious, and like Peter didn't feel well either, and like I I didn't kind of know what to do. And I remember thinking I was being rational, not at all being rational. I was like, what if I die? And I'm just Lincoln comes home and the baby's there and I'm dead. So I started hiding snacks around the house and water cups. Cause I was like, oh, if I die, yeah. now I'll have snacks. This is again, this is fever brain. This Absolutely. is not like a logical state of being. So the next morning we both felt better. Like I started to improve and I was like, well, that was crazy. Clearly I yeah. don't want to be a single mom. And I have, I have so much respect for people who can do that, but I just did yeah. not feel I wanted to do that. So, yeah. No, absolutely. I, yeah, so we decided, you know, we'll just try to make this work and hopefully we can apply for a job at this university and hopefully they'll like me. So yeah. in the meantime, because I'll have like a bit of unemployment in between if I leave my postdoc, let's have another kid! <laughs> Which seems like a crazy logic, maybe, but um, well, but I mean it's. I mean I yeah. think there's 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 some benefit to sort right. of let's get this out of the way exactly while exactly. We can. Well, especially you know with my experiences, um, I was in finishing up graduate school and I had my first. I still was entitled to Canadian maternity leave, which yeah because I was trying to finish my PhD while I was on maternity leave, I didn't fully experience. But that was like the norm that I had understood. You know, yeah, that you have a baby and you get the first year off. To be yeah. with that baby and recover and kind of like bond Absolutely. with those things. And then you go into the workplace. Yeah. And I had just sort of noticed um, when I moved to the States, like with my baby, because my husband was doing a visiting professorship uh, in the in between grad school and uh, starting this postdoc, how different it seemed that nobody had maternity leave, you know? Like I had such a hard time meeting other young moms because I would go to baby meetups, yeah. which in Canada were filled with other people who were like me. Yeah. But it was either people who were intending to be home all the time, which was their choice, and that was yeah. wonderful, but they had a different kind of like life plan sort of Absolutely. Out. Like you didn't find young professionals who were like in a yeah. similar situation looking yeah. to go back to work eventually. Exactly, but, exactly. Right. And, you know, so, and, and like, again, you don't want to invest time and emotion in somebody that you know is just going to go so like I think they were just less interested in me because like I was oh, plenty me. to go back to them. well I mean I understand right like you want like friends that you can yeah, develop something still. with yeah and you know and, or like people would be like I would go there with like people's nannies and like I wouldn't wouldn't understand the difference at first so like oh it was just yeah. a very different experience so I was like you know what I really liked having that time I liked having maternity leave yeah it felt really important to me I also really liked working and felt really good to be back yeah. at work, and I wanted both. So I was hoping that I could kind of hail Mary my way into having 
unemployment be like a Canadian maternity leave and maybe I would also get a job but we didn't know that when I came here like it was ah. all kind of like see that was gonna be one of my questions yes that, yeah but yeah. anyway yeah so I my husband I don't know how much I'm supposed to say my husband had been like maybe you could give her a job and they're like she can apply for a job and so I did um, but it was it was uncertain especially because yeah. in academia I think there's often this idea that you have to be constantly or, or constantly relentlessly moving forward right I think that's often the career path where you're on like an right. upward trajectory or you're, and you're an exciting young scholar and I at this point had had you know two breaks I had I had had difficult pregnancies I'd uh, right. hyperemesis gravitarum so I was oh, <laughs> throwing really? off yeah so that was something too um, my firstborn was a really colicky baby so that right. was hard to kind of do work so I had like kind of had all these breaks and you know I was applying not from a postdoc, you know, I had left academia sort of hmm. when I applied for the job. So I was like, are people going to understand that? Or are they going to look at my letterhead and be like, well, where are you? What are you doing? Where are you coming yeah. from? Yeah. So I felt, you know, I felt a little scared and um, mm -hmm. it was a bit of a leap. And I was, I was really excited about the university, but I was yeah. also a little worried that for me, who had wanted to work and had wanted to kind of continue in this field, mm. and especially kind of the way that expat circles are, you often just hang out with the people that you work with or know through the, those yeah, sorts of yeah. communities. I was worried that I'd, you know, apply for this job, <laughs> not get it, and then be living oh. in a, like, social circle where everybody that I knew had been people who had applied for the same job as me but succeeded you know yeah. <laughs> it's like that's, that's this, quite a lot of pressure yeah, yeah this could be interesting yeah. um so that was fun uh <laughs> you, you you succeeded yeah yeah no and I, and I went through the hiring out and I'm actually I'm actually glad that I didn't get there's more uncertainty but I'm glad for my own sort of sense of self that I applied and I had to go yeah. through the same process of everybody else I wasn't brought on as a spousal hire definitely yeah. makes me feel like I you know I'm sure I was looked upon or you know I'm sure that there was advantages that I got from having that connection but sure. I did like that I had felt like I had earned it or had to yeah, qualify for it yeah. Yeah. yeah so but it was it was like a long process there was an uncertain period there's one part where we'd heard they had started interviewing people and I hadn't been interviewed yet turns out that that had been people in a different subfield all right but I definitely had a week where I was like well I feel sad I'm gonna order ice cream and sit in my apartment and like watch Daniel Tiger with my children <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, uh, it worked out, and it's and that was really wonderful. And I was so excited when I got the offer. Yeah, like it kind of felt like this. We had taken this huge gamble, and had really also lucked out because academic couples are really tough. Yeah, and academia also does kind of have a bit of a. Not entirely, but there can be a bit of a baby penalty, especially if you have difficulties, like it can sort of like yeah. create the illusion that you're not somebody who's producing. Um, so I felt really lucky that I had gotten a job with yeah. my husband at a great university, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but wouldn't you say that, I mean, I think all women are sort of in one way or yes. the other penalized for having <laughs> babies, irrespective of what right. career they're in. Right. Because it's always, I remember somebody mm -hmm. saying to me, and I, and, I, and I worked in the third sector in, in a country where there was statutory maternity pay yeah. and leave and all of that, and somebody saying to me that, well, you have a lovely holiday. And I thought, well, I am not sure this is going to be a holiday if I'm going to be pushing out a child yeah. and then looking after it like yeah, 24 as you're covered in baby vomit and diarrhea yeah. and you haven't slept for like weeks on end. And yeah. it's like, yeah. 
I don't think she was supposed to say stuff like that, but yeah. well, I don't think this was my HR manager saying, well, I hope you do something really productive. And I was like, well, what, how about how keeping you, a child alive? How That's do you make productive? productive? She said, well, <laughs> some people write books. I said, well, oh. I'm not expecting to write any no. books, frankly. But yeah. 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 So, yeah, I would say, anywho. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just, anywho might be the only thing to say to that. Just like, I just, just, so. Just being like, nature's not necessarily yeah. just... Yeah, but I mean, nature's not just, but there's also, like, you know, policies that can, like, (laughs) address that, like, and cultural shifts about, like, what productivity looks like and what kind of goes on behind the scenes that Mm. makes other people productive and other people less so. Like, there are all these sorts of invisible I do want to talk about that. I do want to talk about that. Um, Okay, I guess, should I talk about the pandemic? Because that has to do with my job, too. Yeah, let's let's just go back. Yeah, there's lots of things. So, yeah, okay, so I got the the job, but I didn't start right away because you have to kind of start on academic calendars. And I was offered the position in September or October or something like that. Right. So we said, let's start January 2020. Oh, man. You could have chosen a better time. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the other option would have been like, you know... July 2020, which is also not great for people. Um, (laughs) So I started so excited. Three glorious week of going to an office and like wearing clothes that didn't have like, you know, baby (laughs) spit or like the criteria wasn't like, oh, can I get my breast out to breastfeed quickly? Like it was just like, I can wear a shirt that's a turtleneck. This is amazing. Um, You know, so three weeks of going to the office, teaching like exciting classes, getting to interact with students and DKU students are great like they're they're international they're thoughtful you get like a kind of diversity of viewpoints so the discussions can be really good and rich and I was like I was just like feeling really good about myself you know and and when you started those three weeks yeah you were sort of how how does it work do you like do you like go in gradually do you just like start like nine to five five days a week yeah so we had had an IE another thing that makes working parented much easier is childcare. Uh, yeah. So we'd had an IE sort of start a little bit before I went back to work. And so the, our, our baby, who's now a toddler, uh, had some familiarity with her. Yeah. And he just like was happy. Like we, I left her with the IE, started work. Um, yeah. And we were still coming home a bit early because we had uh, our older son, Peter, yeah. as you know, uh, had uh, to be picked up from the bus. Mm. And so I came home a little bit early because I was still breastfeeding. So I... Yeah. Wanted to nurse the baby. Sure. Picked up Peter. Then my husband came back. And then I would work in the evenings. Like, that's the kind of split that we had arranged. Yeah. So I was, I was, yeah, I was working full time. I was picking up on research projects that I had left by the wayside when, you know, every... Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. it's it's really hard to do academic research when you're at home with your small children. With which your small children. I thought, I'm glad that period of being at home with small children. I'm glad that period of my life is over. <laughs> she thought to herself. Yeah, famous January, last words. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it was like, I really felt like on a roll and it felt like good. I was like, yeah, yeah. you know, we figured this out. I've yeah. got this working parenting, yeah. nailed it, you know, like it little... seemed like yeah. things were falling into place. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, everything happened and it yeah. happened so suddenly and so uncertain, you know, so much uncertainty and everything's yeah. kind of making a Because you were, decisions. I mean, um, remind me again, you were here when yes. like sort of everything kicked off yes. and I'm assuming that I think maybe the... I don't know, the atmosphere here was it's best to leave China because yes. things are getting 
Yes. And so... Well, I mean, so we had been supposed to... We'd wanted to travel around China for the New Year's, but then we started like, oh, there seems to be a couple of cases of this thing. Maybe we should yeah. stay at home just yeah. to be safe. And then, like, like shortly after we made that decision, like, things kind of escalated quickly. So, yeah, I remember that week um, uh, where the Chinese New Year week while we were... Uh, at home trying to figure out what to do it just was filled with so much uncertainty and so my parents were trying to get us to leave right away yeah I was worried well if we get on a flight what if we bring it back to North America what if we bring it to you what happens so that right. was yeah. and I, I also thought well what if we leave and and you know because they pushed the term back by like one week at school and what mm-hmm. if we leave and then they want us to be back in person teaching like a week later I don't want to do like a short yeah. flight or like a flight with kids with all these situations yeah, 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 yeah. have to return right away so I remember being really just confused mm-hmm. <laughs> and like my research is in the kind of a more humanities era so, so I'm like I'm like I don't feel equipped to gauge this I'm like I do ancient Greek philosophy so it could be like well the problem is there's the humors imbalance and a good bloodletting well you know like I like that's about like my scientific background right. so like luckily we had faculty like on our group we chat we're just yeah. like so what's going on and we had yeah. public health people trying to help parse us but they were as confused as the rest of us so I remember Definitely when we decided to like leave, like we decided to go to Japan first because we were like, that's yeah, a short flight. If we have to come back, we can. But yeah. it gives us options. And it was when the flight started canceling, and we just suddenly, I think there's something about being, something about being far away, and when your like connection to home closes down. Because I remember I had this weird outsized reaction when Air Canada canceled flights to China. Because uh, right. like for some reason, like different American airlines, I was like, oh yeah, but like Air Canada, I was like Air Canada, what? what? Yeah. How will I get to Vancouver? You know, like like a kind of like an emotional response to that. Yeah. And then, you know, the like our university started saying like we're gonna send foreign like the foreign students back. You know, because uh, uh. a lot of our student body is foreign. So when they started urging foreign students to go back, even helping them make the accommodations to fly. Yeah. We sort of got the feeling that we should all be going too. So we, so we, we. This was still sort of unsettled. We left with actually another family from our DKU, our school. Right. Um, we flew to Japan, and I remember when we arrived in Japan. That's when we found out that our university, like we were, is still in the airport in Osaka. Yeah. After our two-hour empty kind of scary flight, where yeah. you know, like my four-year-old and my one-year-old were trying to like lick surfaces and touch things yeah. and like be as gross as they could possibly be. Uh, so after that flight, we're in the Osaka airport and we found out, okay, so we're going online and uh, right. then things started coming to place. Like we're affiliated, Duke Kunshan is affiliated with Duke University. So it sort of mm. seems like they wanted faculty who were kind of in exile to go to Durham. It's like, okay, we'll do that. But there was just like, there was a lot of uncertainty. Yes. I imagine. And we yeah. didn't know where to go and when to go and all this. So we, yeah. we, we hung around Japan for about 11 days and then flew to Canada to see my family because we still needed uh, childcare help so we could finish grading papers because we had assigned a paper right before yeah. all this and hadn't started grading it when everything went down. Right. And I was like, well, I got to turn those back sometime. So we went to Canada um, and spent, um, it was supposed to be a week there, but then <laughs> I had, when I arrived in Canada, when we arrived in Canada, I came off, I had a cough when I got off the flight. Which makes sense because we went from a place where it's extremely humid to yeah. Saskatchewan is a very, very dry climate. So right. just a temperature change yeah. and from long flights and stress, that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't have a fever. I didn't have anything else. But I was still within the 14 days of you've been in China all this Yeah. Week. So I remember calling public health um, in uh, Saskatchewan and being like, so here's the situation. Because also in the back of my mind, we were starting to hear about asymptomatic or low symptomatic right. spreaders. Yeah. Like, that we were starting to hear about that. And I was like, oh God, 
I'm going to yeah. be the one who brings it. Like, it's going to be me somehow that, like, brings it to North America yeah. is what I was thinking. So I called public health and I was like, here's the situation. I don't have a fever, but I have a cough and I left China, like, 13 days ago. Yeah. So I had to, like, wear a mask at home and nobody really knew anything and they didn't know whether I was going to get tested or not. Um, my mother's a nurse, actually, so she couldn't go into work because they didn't want her bringing it oh, into the hospital. Yeah. Um, which I thought was hard for her because she's somebody who loves her job. Um and then they decided to get me tested, but they didn't know how to do it. So they had basically another uh, nurse drive to our house and, like, throw a test basically across the doorway at my mom okay. who did the test. And, I mean, I love her, but, like, it was probably the most of the many COVID tests I've had because of travel and this or that. The yeah. test that my mother gave me and performed in our kitchen was by far the most painful. Oh, <laughs> like, geez, she really? was she was like, well, I'm going to make it count. Like, she didn't want it to be, like, an inconclusive yeah, test. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I'm pretty sure she scraped the back of my brain. Um, there might have been some, like, that's what you get for being a snippy teenager uh, resentment worked out, but yeah, so that was my first COVID test. So it always comes back somewhere. I think so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and then we went, so we had to stay in Canada longer than we intended to because we needed to wait for a COVID test yeah, to get yeah. back. So yeah. Uh. <laughs> and back then, obviously, North America was fine. There were no cases. Yeah. It was only sort of March yeah, when things started getting... Exactly. Yeah. This was still February and like, may, like I think maybe there had been one case in like British Columbia and mm-hmm. it was all, everybody felt like it was pretty contained. It was a problem that was over there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think people thought it was weird that I was like, I should get a test, you know, or that I was, that I was talking to public health. Like, I think, uh, I think there was a bit of an impression that I was overreacting, really? which I might have been, but I just didn't want to be the person who brought it to Canada, no, which that's, is what that's, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. I, like, I think that's a fair response. That'd yeah. be like a shitty line in your high school reunion. Like, hey guys, guess what I did, you know? Um, so yeah, so the, yeah, then we went to Durham and I was like, all right, you know, silver lining, we'll get to like be a Duke and we'll get to have our academic community in exile. It's going to be great. And then yeah. like a week later everything shut down pretty much so two this weeks is maybe March this was March yeah I guess two weeks because it took us some time to find child care yeah. the only thing I remember was that we had five days where both boys were in daycare five days of getting work done anything like normal yeah. and then like things just picked up and like we were skittish enough that we took our boys out of daycare before yeah. it closed but it closed like three days after yeah. we left it so yeah and then we were working and then, yeah two of us working full-time jobs at wow. home with two small kids who were kind of, you know, upset because they'd been moving around. You know, I remember mm. we'd been in so many different places that when we first arrived at our rental place in Durham, which we got for just five weeks because we didn't mm. know how long we were going to be there. Yeah. When we first got there and we'd leave the house, she'd say, Mommy, are we going to come back here tonight? Yeah. And I was like, oh, God. So he, they were upset. Yeah. They were clingy. And they were clinging more for me than for my husband because yeah. I had been the primary caregiver up yeah, until yeah. recently, right? Like yeah, my yeah, husband yeah. had been work, I'd been at home. Yeah. So I'm the person that they go that to they for go comfort. For, absolutely. Right? Like they could accept that my husband had to go into a room to teach a class. But mm. the very first class that I taught online, <laughs> um, my uh, mother-in-law had was actually had came down to Durham to help us for the first week to get over the hump. And she was, our one son was in, our four-year-old was in bed, we thought. And our baby, my mother-in-law was trying to put to sleep. But the four-year-old, I guess he was three and a half at this point, the three and a half-year-old woke up, figured out I wasn't there, ran screaming into the room where he was trying to teach a class, 
Um, and then my mother-in-law tried to drag him away, but that made the baby scream because he had just fallen asleep. Aww. So my mother-in-law is dragging two screaming children. She's a hero. Two screaming children out of our, uh, out of my teaching class. And my three and a half was like, but mommy has to love you. Oh, <laughs> and Exactly. And then I had to be like, so um, what were we talking about? Yeah, <laughs> what that's is a difficult subject? distraction to uh, sort of get over. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, my students were pretty understanding, and that was. I mean, I'm really assuming great. you weren't the only faculty yeah. member who was. Oh yeah, now we all have stories of this, right? Like, I yeah. feel like my children this year have made so many guest appearances and lecture that they're unofficial mascots of TKU. <laughs> who was that? I I can't remember. If this was a few years ago. It was a BBC. Oh yeah, that's exactly what I felt like. Yeah. But I don't. I'm pretty sure. Can't guarantee it, but I'm sure the cloud recordings out there. He didn't say ah. Oh, fuck which I'm pretty sure I did oh well, you're teaching adults yeah you're fine. exactly you're fine. exactly you're fine. exactly right so yeah I mean obviously we've 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 come we've come to the sort of the uh-huh. the, the, the topic that I sort of wanted to come to mm-hmm. but um I think I've been reading it and I've been sort of speaking to people about how um women in particular like it mm-hmm. seems like uh, my friends who work and have kids there they seem to be working around the clock mm-hmm. because they can't do their mm-hmm. eight hours of day yeah. job because their kids are awake and they need to do online lessons yeah. or they need to be entertained yeah so then they put them to bed at whatever hour and then and they're then working so they're, so they're working all the time yeah um and these are people who are um reasonably sort of economically yeah they're they're fine privileged yeah privileged yeah. absolutely but um working moms they've just been really really terribly yeah um impacted by this yeah um and would you Absolutely. say that your experience of working through the pandemic is <laughs> yes because we were talking about policy right. earlier right. and I remember having a chat with my husband about it like as we ate mm-hmm. dinner and I was saying you know I was reading this and I was reading that in the Guardian I was reading that article mm-hmm. that I think a while ago you had shared I think it was in the Lily yeah. about I think oh, yes. female academics yeah. producing sort of 50 percent much less, less work. work yeah I can't remember the numbers um, but a lot less and, and, and I was just saying that you're a man just sort of, I'm not saying that you represent all men, mm-hmm. but like, what's your view? What, mm-hmm. how can this be fixed? Like, mm-hmm. how, what do you think? And he just said, I, 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 I don't know. It's yeah. not like you can't say, okay, if we fix this policy, right? Or if we fix it's right. It's a whole patchwork of things. How, and some of them how have to does do. it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I can talk about like my own experience and try to, you know, draw some general reflections from that. So as I said, I had been, I had just stopped being the primary character. Yeah. So my kids were habituated to viewing me as the person to go to. Uh, And I was still nursing uh, the the baby. Uh, So, and again, in times of stress, kids like to nurse more and like the physical attachments, all that. Uh, and my, my husband, you know, and I need to say that he really did try to, like, do what he could to, like, take that off of me. But they seemed to accept that daddy could go into a different room. Because we tried, we tried to have it, like, I will work part of the day and you watch the kids and you will work part of the day and I will watch the mm. kids. And uh, that didn't go very well. Yeah. You know, we were um, we were in a rental apartment. A rental sort of like townhouse apartment mm-hmm. um, because we had to move again yeah. in Durham because we didn't have rentals for long enough. And it was a sort of open air. There was like a little office lounge, but you could sort of 
you could hear everything in the lounge, and everybody right. downstairs could hear everything you did. So, uh, so the boys traveled a lot. The boys, yeah. yeah, we and we had a gate on the a baby gate on the stairs mm-hmm. to keep them from going upstairs. But like they would just start to scream for me and want mm-hmm. me, and they wouldn't. So they'd accept daddy for a bit, but then they demand me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's also you know personal particular issues with me that made that really tricky like I uh, <laughs> I actually got diagnosed with ADHD this year because I was having a hard oh. time so I started talking to a therapist for help with like anxiety and I was talking about some of my working issues and how I was like you know usually to work I, I walk around a lot and I like to you know sometimes I'll write while I sit on the floor just so I can fidget because I can think better and I was talking about all the sorts of mm-hmm. ways that I work that were suddenly impossible and she said have you ever like been said that maybe you have ADHD because this is exactly how it presents in women and, and this and that which another issue that goes underdiagnosed yeah women. women don't get kind of like help and support for these things women are well more... women tend to be inattentive ADHD so it's more like a dreaminess and we're also socialized to do things and compensate to do more chores to be organized yeah. so I've never been a super organized person but uh-huh. I could always compensate by being bright or being clever or making connections yeah. Um, so I just had never been diagnosed. And then uh, she took me through this sort of like diagnosis and she's like, you are like very much textbook, this sort of like manifestation. Of it. Ah. So I bring that up because a, that's something that women don't often get treatment for. I had spent most of my adult life having this, you know, and just finding workarounds to make it do. And then also feeling guilty because I'm not good at the mom stuff of being organized or having all the things under control. And there's mm. a certain amount of chaos in the way that I work and think, which can be great. Right. I think I'm really great in a discussion group because I can keep focused on a lot yeah. of different lines of uh, things at once. Mm. But filling out forms is like a nightmare, like driving, you know, <laughs> pins into my sure. eyes for me. So that intersected with this because working in a house where you couldn't move, <laughs> you couldn't get up in peace because the floor would creak and the children would draw attention yeah. to you, where you could always hear your children and you're somebody who likes to have quiet to work. Yeah. And where you're just sort of stressed and exhausted, even when I to have time to work because my husband also was working from home hmm. I couldn't do it very well like I did uh, some yeah. stuff but it was just not of the same quality as I was used to my focus wasn't mm-hmm. where it used to be because all the things that I needed to do in order to work were just gone so right. for yeah so for somebody who's a woman who is neuroatypical who is working from home with small children yeah. in the middle of a global pandemic. It was kind of like a recipe for disaster. So yeah, my, I, I was glad that I, this, it got so bad that I had been coping before. Um, it got so bad that I was able to get that diagnosis and clarify things and like be like, Oh yeah, this is how I work. That's different than how other people work. I can harness that. But it definitely showed like all the things that I need in order to function well, yeah. being neuroatypical were just gone, like right. gone. Um, which also made me realize how important they are and how much I need to, now that I'm somewhat back to normal, how much I need yeah. to get that. So yeah, that's a personal issue with me. But so for other larger, broader issues, um, yeah, like I had several things that made me really lucky. You know, a husband who is working from home, mm. who has always been supportive of my career and yeah. believes in it and tried to do what he could. Mm. That still couldn't do all that much given both the ways in which I was more affected by the disruption than he yeah. was. Because, I mean, he annoyingly could sit down and the kids would be screaming and he would just somehow be like, derp, 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 and like manage to write. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Um um, and I had that and, you know, the university was trying to figure out ways to make it less shitty 
Like we got yeah. a 10 year clock pause at first it was something you had to uh, apply for. Now um, they've just given it automatically and you can opt out if you want, which is nice. And you don't have to justify it because sometimes you don't want to be like, so I stopped doing work for a year pretty much because life was shitty and I had small kids. It's nice that they kind of gave it to you as like a matter uh, of course. I right. think that helps. I think that helps for me personally. Uh-huh. So yeah, I have a 10 year clock pause. So it's almost as if I haven't started my job and just yeah. like, yeah, with yeah, academia, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's like a clock yes. you kind of have to you know be producing along it and then you get review and if right. you are you know then you get in the tenant position if you um, yeah I think I, I, I got it from that article some of that right I think exactly some of the academics exactly. in that article we're talking about because exactly, women yeah. weren't submitting and yeah. men were submitting more right yeah journals. and then that also slowed down because you don't have as many reviewers or the reviewers that you do have, the people who are willing to volunteer right now mm. were men. And that might also involve different, you know, issues like with men being more active in certain fields or having certain kind of like methodological commitments potentially. And again, not always, but there can be yeah. if you just have men publishing and men reviewing, different work is going to get accepted, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I have a giant black hole in my resume this year. I was my my university did their best to accommodate it and my husband did his best to help, but I had to fill up my annual review. <laughs> Uh-huh. this year and um it's a form where you sort of go through all the things you did and it says if nothing leave this blank and I was feeling it and I actually was working in my office and I actually just started to laugh to myself because field after field for me was like leave this blank leave this blank leave this blank yeah. and it was like a very kind of like like visceral obvious reminder of like all the things I didn't do this year of all the things that I should have yeah. been doing and couldn't you know like the fact that I've done anything at all feels like a major achievement. And I'm also lucky enough that I was in a job where, I mean, you can, you can give yourself enough rope to hang yourself, but like, I didn't have a, a, the same like outside external commitments as somebody who has like deadlines to meet every day. I just had like yeah. write things and get people to publish them. And well, I wrote things very slowly. I wrote more in the month of November when we finally wrote back than I did yeah. the rest of this whole year. I mean, to be honest, I had a boom of, productivity because it had been pent up so I just got a lot done yeah ADHD brain kind of delivering there but right. but it definitely when I was filling out this sort of uh, form like I, I just started to laugh in my office like I cracked myself up because it was either that or crying oh <laughs> uh, yeah wow that's that sounds but I mean I, I I do wonder because it's 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 not something that mm-hmm. only a handful of women right. are experiencing i mean this is right. this is global yes so that might be our only do they, hope do they factor that in because yeah. this is entirely unprecedented nobody yes. could have so i think about this in comparison to other kind of lapses in productivity in my life which were personal they were private right like i didn't do much work during my pregnancies because i was vomiting 20 times a day for five months mm-hmm. it's very hard to write philosophy with I your imagine. head in a toilet, right? Yeah. That's like that's the embodied nature of existence. You can't think deep thoughts no, when you're peeking really. your guts out, you know? So that I was that I was worried about people not understanding, like, why do you take this break? Well, then you have to explain. But in the course of explaining, you're drawing attention to yourself as a mother of small children. You know, like it's not like I broke both wrists in a canoeing accident. You know, it's like I I am a person with small children yeah. with needs upon me and my and then I became ill. So I hadn't experienced backlash itself because of that, but I remember feeling guilty or maybe that's not quite the right phrase. Self-conscious about the breaks in my productivity because mm-hmm. again, 
whether it's something that's real or not, I think there's the aspiration that you're in a constant upward trajectory. But that constant upward trajectory doesn't make space for care work, for pregnancies, for sickness. Mm. I mean, for other things that people experience that are usually private, like grieving the death of a loved one. Um, All sorts of things that interrupt with your ability to be a working machine are things that we often feel like we need to hide or excuse away or sort of um, just make up for, compensate for. So everybody had always had (laughs) things that got in the way of there being the so-called perfect worker or the so-called perfect academic, right? It's just that we, they were private, they were isolated, they were, you know, something that experienced that you tried to like compensate for, cover over or excuse for. And the fact that everybody's lives, excuse me, have been fucked up, that's maybe something helpful because people get it in a way that maybe they didn't get before. People are talking about it. Like there's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a conversation. I know that it's a conversation at our university. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know what's going to come from it, but just the fact that it's, it's such a public shared trauma, I think. Yeah. I'm hoping will make us like reevaluate what it is we consider to be like a work-life balance, what it is that we expect from people because, you know, I do think that this has impacted women more than men, but I yeah. know men have been hurt too. Like, no, I'm, yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with Especially that. Especially men with small children um, who suddenly have gone from like being thinking of themselves with these sort of like, you know, you go to the office and then you come back and that's it to suddenly being like, at home and seeing the chaos and like having the, like that, you know, especially if you're used to being somebody who was separate from that, that can be really unsettling to your sense of self to be like, suddenly you're, you're the one covered in like baby shit and this, I'm going to just talk about baby shit as much as possible today. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, no, um, I, I did wonder that because, because you talked about sort of, um, because it sounds really cutthroat, right? sort of academia. Well, I don't mean to make it sound like that. It is a great thing, but it's, it's, there's, there's pressure to produce both when you're like, you're doing this thing out and it's internalized pressure too. And there's just like, it's an ideal that we have that we're... But do you think it sort of comes from a place of where, I mean, I don't know, historically where um, men were academics and they were Mm -hmm. supported by, Mm -hmm. I don't know, stay-at-home partners who were raising the kids and who were watching the home and and these men were focused on producing work and then growing and growing and growing. And then that became sort of like the epitome of the perfect academic. Right, exactly. I think I think that's absolutely true that we've sort of had these habits where we don't think about the sorts of um, interruptions that go on because, you know, I mentioned things that don't have to do with like the female reproductive system, but are still gendered, right? Like usually it's not men who are asked to take care of an ailing family member. Usually, you know, like those sorts of things were all still care work that women were expected to do. Yeah. And it was often invisible, right? Um, And so we have these kind of standards of like, the unencumbered, isolated Adam who either has no claims or has somebody else taking care of those claims. Like my husband. Yeah. I j- always joke that I need a wife, you know? Like it would be really convenient <laughs> if I had a wife. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I have to wonder, you know, like especially because academia, as I was saying, it's really hard. A lot of people do meet their spouse in grad school, you know, because you yeah. spend all your time together. That's uh, yeah. you're young, all this and that. You know, somebody else gets what you're doing. That's your immediate kind pool. Of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then, like, it's often hard for people to get jobs in the same place. So maybe it's the woman who leaves. Maybe it's the woman who's had some bumps in her career because of pregnancy who doesn't look as good on the market. So maybe she leaves. Yeah. Or, you know like me like they have two people and one person gets a job far away and then you have to decide do I stay with my job or do I stay with my spouse and like there's gendered things that go into those decisions right like that Absolutely. might mean that there are just more 
um, either single women or like married men with stay-at-home spouses or spouses who have to leave their career to do something else. So yeah, yeah. it's just like all these sorts of pressures, especially in a career where you're expected to be I'm not expect. I don't want to. I feel like I'm shitting an idea. <laughs> no, I'm just. Oh. But uh, you do have to be willing to be mobile, right? In academia, like right. I liked Canada and wanted and hoped that I could teach in Canada, but mm-hmm. I never thought that I would for sure. You know, I sort of right. knew that I would like could end up wherever. You know, yeah. I just hoped that I'd end up wherever with a job. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, but like that expectation of mobility definitely favors those for whom it's more easy to be mobile. You know. Yeah, no. It's easier yeah. to pick up with your spouse if your spouse is willing to follow you. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. Ah, yeah, yeah, but so I think the thing that I mean, like, um, I've been wondering, like, like literally, I was right. just trying to think that if 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 it was one thing that or okay it can't be one thing but if it was like obviously a series of steps because I mean I I I almost feel like that the way mm-hmm. I guess policies are set up the way mm-hmm. things are for women and in um and I say this uh although having lived in sort of the in a western developed country right, right. but coming from um Pakistan mm-hmm. I think it was I I always saw the west as sort of like here here's a place where women are safe and mm-hmm. all their problems are gone away and they're treated like equals mm-hmm. But then I went there and I was like, oh, right, that's oh, no. not really true, actually. <laughs> oh, no. it, it, just, it just seems like right. that, like the grass is always greener, right, but right. it's actually not, right? right? And then, then it makes, if, if they can't get it right, mm-hmm. then surely we can't really be complaining about anything here. Because, I mean, they've oh. had a lot of time to yeah. try and fix this yeah. or, like, come up with solutions and they clearly can't. Right. But it's not because they can't come up with something. Is it because they just don't want to because it's easier this way? All mm-hmm. of those things, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. But... But what is it? Because um, in 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 Canada, right. in the UK, in large parts of Europe, they've got um, paid maternity yeah. leave that yeah. that supports women. Um, and now I think, particularly in Scandinavia, and I think to sort of like balance it out, they call it paternity yeah, leave, where they in, too, where yeah. they encourage both parents yeah. to take like equal amount of. Which actually ends up having like a lifetime effect on fathers because fathers who get paternity leave yeah. are more involved over the lifetime of their children. Like I've read studies to that effect. So like these yeah. decisions that we make now have ramifications for the Absolutely. rest of like people's lives. And I mean, and it makes and it makes it makes so much sense because even if even if you're on a paid maternity leave, right. when you when you come back to your job after a year, right. people have a. a a lot of stuff has moved on right and you're sort of it takes you and you're expected to catch up quite quickly right and sometimes right. it's not humanly possible because yeah, you do still have a small child to exactly it's like you have the same job as before but now you're extra tired you know like yes. yeah 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 so so given all of that like just sort of like say you've got like an ideal scenario right if a pandemic of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but i mean yeah. I, I, I was just thinking that like the public health yeah. professionals are, are talking about this there's a lot of people talking about this yeah. that we i mean we need to learn from this to yeah. make sure that things like that don't happen again right but in terms of how women have been affected or how families right. have been working families have been right. affected i think you know this this sounds vague because i'm not a policy analyst no absolutely one of the, one of the, i'm just just one of the things that I think I'm hoping comes out of this is like that we just reevaluate what it is to be at work and what it is to be a human being who works and also has connections. So what I mean by this is 
so much of the Western family models, like the nuclear family, where you handle all of it yourself, right? Yeah. You don't have family nearby, no, but you no. have friends, but they stay in their own houses yeah. and this and that. So you don't have like the community that can help. Since I came back here, we still don't have our family here, but having like the friendship community has made yeah. like some of the challenges of hybrid teaching easier. You know, we had to do job interviews or teaching late at night or in off hours different than what we usually do. So my husband and I dropped our kids off at the neighbors and right. did our work and that made it possible. So those sorts of small scale things, but how we are involved in one another's lives helpful. But related to that is also, I think we just need to have more sense of our vulnerability and that we are not machines who can work unaffected by our situations. Yeah. And that productivity um, depends on a lot of things um, that we shouldn't be trying to lie about how great and wonderful and awesome we are. That like, you know, work is something that takes sweat and sacrifice and difficulties yeah. But is also in all of our interest that it's possible for your for children. Because I think sometimes it's like, well, I don't have children. Why should I care about you? Well, you know, one day you will be old and you're going to need somebody's children to take care of you. You're going to be part of a society mm. that you need to have youth and vitality and innovation. You know, like for every child that has been supported by having, um, you know, a neighborhood of people to take care of it and parents that yeah. are able to work and have afford them and, and be happy, right? I think I'm honestly somebody who's happier when I can work and be yeah. with my kids. So it's better for kids to have parents that are flourishing. And those kids that have better, happier upbringings are going to be more productive, um, interesting, careful, thoughtful adults. So if you're interested in living in a good world, you need to be interested in raising good children. And the idea that it's something we should all do alone, that we should hide mm. it in private, we should pretend that it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, like I've heard, I remember being on academic uh, Facebook um, mom's group debates about whether you should mention maternity leave in your CV. And some people are like, no, don't mention it because you're going to look like you're weak. Well, maybe we should all be mentioning it, you know? And so that comes, yeah. that, that's something you need people who are already established to talk about. I've had women faculty members um, at University of Toronto who were fantastic about being quite frank about, you know, yeah, their issues and challenges, but also the advantages and the thoughtfulness and the profundity that came to their work when they had children, right? Like their ability yeah. to work with more focus, with more determination, with more um, a wider depth of insight, especially like political theory, we're asking questions about what is it to be a human in a community? Well, mm. to be a human in a community means to be a human around children. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, I don't know but, if that, that's a long rambling no, answer, yeah, no, but no, just no, to I, be I, a I, culture I, shift. <laughs> culture shift. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, and, and I think the, the, the problem is not going to change or it, the, the, there'll be no solution yeah. to it till the people who are making decisions about it are not affected yeah. by these issues. And it's yeah. mostly sort of men who've not been in a situation yeah. where they're affected by yeah. issues of childcare yeah. or... So I wonder, I mean, how much, I mean, I've heard horror stories about people being fired from their jobs because they were distracted on Zooms. But I wonder the fact that now when we're working, we're not like, you know, in our fancy clothes and like apart from our children. But people have been working like in their sweatpants from home and their kids interrupt and their cats interrupt and all this. Like people's private lives have been on display on their Zoom yeah. chats all year long. Um, our private lives have suddenly intruded into our kind of like facade of professionality. Mm. And I'm hoping that that, gives us a kind of potent reminder of like how difficult this is like again i sort of hope that the fact that this was so bad yeah provokes a change because it was so bad for so many people oh absolutely in different ways i know i'm super yeah. privileged but the fact of this sharedness of this experience might provoke some sort of reflection i would hope i know i mean i know there's a lot of um well, well some employers who i've heard of 
Mm-hmm. That they are thinking about going to a four day week instead of a five day yeah, working oh week. Yeah, oh goodness, that'd be amazing. Um, and and just having more flexibility. I mean, I know that the organization I worked for back in the UK, mm-hmm. um, that it used to be sort of you, you you literally had to fight tooth and nail to get flexible working. And you would think, yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying I don't want to work. I'm right. just saying I just want to work a little bit more flexibly. Yes, at different times work, and yeah. exactly, which I take for granted. But yes, but, yeah. and and it, and it used to, it was it was a huge uphill battle. But now I think everyone's yeah. determined that this is very possible. Yeah. There was there were yeah, there like, were never any struggles around it. You could easily do it. Exactly. I guess it was just a exactly. like a presenteeism sort of thing that you just need to be at your desk where people can see you. Exactly. And you know, it's nice to have that too, but it's good to have Absolutely. Options. And I, that's good what I like, yeah. So now that I'm back at work on campus and things are normal ish, um, I still try to work at home on Fridays so I can yeah. pick my kids up early and you know, and, and I don't have to spend time commuting. So I work on campus four days a week. I see my yeah. colleagues, so happy to see them. Did not realize how much I missed small talk <laughs> till it was gone. Like oh, my first week back, I just hugged students randomly, and I think I was kind of creepy because I was so excited <laughs> to see people. But I love being back at work. Yeah. But I also love working at home, so it's yeah. kind of nice to do both. Again, I've always had that privilege because academia, a lot of your work is yeah. research that you can do in your office at night and this and that. Sure. But the more we realize that, like, you can like have people working on Zoom and they will still do things, but also yeah. they will still want to come in every now and then because people like people <laughs> oh absolutely you know you touched upon vulnerability earlier and mm-hmm. uh, you probably know her i think everyone knows her by this point um Bre- Brene brown yes and yeah, she talks yeah. about vulnerability I, th- I think it's probably one of those things that probably should be taught at university oh, yeah. or yeah. something <laughs> yeah because i think the opposite is what people think is expected of them right. they must be stoic all the time right. and they must not demonstrate right. any weakness or emotion right. right whereas if you do that i think it's yeah. not yeah I mean, so I try to do this a little bit in my class. So I've actually, we were, we, so I'm teaching right now a class called Foundational, Foundational Questions of Social Science. I love it. It's a, it's a great month class. It sounds like class. a really cool course. It is, yeah. And so we're just, we're, instead of, you know, we're looking at like text from across the different disciplines of social science, but we're trying to be like, well, what are these sort of like animating problems, these things we're trying to explore? So each week has a theme. So we were doing the week on the family. <laughs> and I, I, I talked about this and I talked yeah. about how difficult it was. And we, we brainstormed different policy solutions. We brainstormed hmm. sort of comparative like approach like does the family have to be does this have to be so hard are there other ways that it could be and I think modeling that was helpful I mean actually modeling like that sort of thing is helpful in all sorts of ways so I also try to talk to my students about writing and I think they often see writing as like this task you just have to get it out and then it's done and they don't really think of it as like a, a long work in progress where you make a lot of mistakes and you figure things out through making those mistakes hmm. and sort of highlighting writing as a work that you do in order to understand something better like you're when you write you're also writing to yourself to kind of work your way through a a problem yeah and showing them the work that I do so like I've brought like in like different drafts of papers that I've worked on and I can Mm. show them like here's how it changes and like they they can see that I comment and scribble on it and underline things and cross things out and write over it showing them that there's work that like I do drafts that nothing I do is perfect right away yeah is helpful and it models the fact that that, like we're all ongoing projects who make mistakes and that's part of how you learn yeah is being brave enough to figure it out I mean I tell this to students too when they're afraid of talking I was like I love it when I can hear students sort of like pause and search for words like they don't have the answer right away because that means they're thinking yeah when you yeah. have the answer right away you've got something memorized when you're like 
uh, is it like this? That means yeah. you're doing the work of drawing attention. They always feel bad about when I say, that's good. That's the, that's what I like to hear because that means that you're trying to do something new. Mm. I think that changes how they think about what they're supposed to be like in the classroom. Changes It makes it draws attention to like thinking as like a discovery or as a process rather than like you have the right answer because you're smart and you're yeah. perfect. But you're rather somebody who's like trying to explore and get into something. True. And I think that's just a helpful intellectual stance, but it also reminds you that your life is a work in progress and sometimes there are mistakes and you need to talk about these vulnerabilities like writing is a lot like life like that do do you do you do you think that because you interact with young people yeah do they I mean I think probably when I was sort of in my early 20s I don't think I ever would for even a second think oh what would be the challenges of a working mother yeah or what would happen like how how does a family work when you have small children right is that something they sort of because you said you told yeah they they threw Uh, in sort of ideas about it's interesting because people are coming from a wide variety of experience with it. Like some people are from families where they've had a lot of small children or they have cousins or this or that. Yeah. They've seen it and they've experienced it and they're familiar with it. Some people are from families where they haven't had any experience with children yeah. since they've been a child. Um, I have found that they actually are pretty good at doing that imaginative work. But like I have to share my experiences first and they read these articles and they watch a video and they reflect upon their own childhoods and they think about what it was like for their parents. You know, I yeah. had a student who talked about her mom had wanted to do a PhD and didn't and always regretted it. Oh, and like she brought that up as a sort of like example. And like that was great, like that empathy that she had to reach for, for yeah. her mother and like that's that sort of well, thing. So, you know, they don't have families right now and that's not often the thing that they are thinking about like in the moment yeah. but they've been from a family they have seen exactly families. it gives them chances to think again like social science it's life right like it allows Absolutely. them to think through these issues yeah. of their life in a way that maybe they hadn't before yeah. yeah well so i guess i mean sort of in your in your view hang on i wrote this down <laughs> um are you aware of any countries huh. in the world that have actually? I mean, because oh, I think what, <laughs> what 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 I what I've read hmm. of has been from the US. Right. And it's all grim. Right. It's from the UK, right. and it's terrible. Yeah. In terms of how working mothers have just been completely annihilated. Yeah. In in the process. Yeah. But I mean, and I don't know about Scandinavia, but I think maybe, I mean, they seem to do a good job at most things, right? I mean, New Zealand did well, but they also just handled the coronavirus well. So it's like it didn't get as bad, so it didn't get as bad. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I know that everybody, I've got a pretty international group of friends and just everybody's stressed. Everybody's tired. I'm not, and I'm sure somebody who's doing that kind of social science could do a fine grain study later on. I'm sure everybody's this year has been like taking notes, being like, this is terrible, but it's also fascinating. Yeah. So that's a great research question. Doing a comparative analysis of different responses, you can measure stress rates, you can do this and that. You know, like one statistic I like to bandy about, I don't have the study to back it up right now, but I, I know that I've read this just about maternity leave, but not about mm-hmm. the pandemic. Yeah. Um, is that women in Canada apparently have a higher rate of participation in the workforce, lower rates of postpartum depression, yeah. higher rates of breastfeeding, and lower rates of like infant mortality. You can't be like, maternity leave caused all of this but it's got to be a factor so somebody yeah so somebody can be doing a study right now doing that because like it's just for me it's hard to like (laughs) the noise surrounding this is so much like there's so many kind of wails of despair and frustration and Mm. boredom and 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 fear and anxiety like all these sort of complex webs of feeling that people are going through right now that it's really hard to be like well who is better or worse you know because right now we're just kind of getting the we're still in the thick of it. 
But oh, I think, absolutely. I think yeah. we need to be collecting this data. We need to be doing the studies on this because this is going to be, it's going to tell us something, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, such a patchwork, yeah. I mean, clearly it was it was a broken system that yeah. it collapsed so exactly. quickly. Yeah. But it's it's broken in ways that are going to be interesting, right? The breakdown yeah. can yeah. reveal something. Um, yeah. That's my hope. <laughs> yeah. Lindsay, thank you so much. Yeah. You know, I feel like, because I started this um, podcast in July last year. Yeah, I listened. Yay! (laughs) And and while we were in the thick of it, I feel like in my conversations, we always sort of like skirted around it. We never kind of really talked about it. It's hard to talk about it when it's happening. I I think, think, well, it's still... Not yeah. necessarily gone away. No, that's true. But um, but I felt like we needed to kind of just 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 talk about exactly yeah. what happened. And yeah. I mean, I I think your experience has been quite, um, yeah. and quite traumatic for you, yeah. obviously. But like, there's been like things that have been exceptional about the fact. I mean, that we moved from Canada to two different houses in Durham, and then we went to Vermont because like we wanted to see family, and yeah. then we went to China, and then this and that. Yeah. So we yeah, moved absolutely. a lot for a global pandemic. We've been in rental homes. You know, yeah. I have the particular thing with the ADHD diagnosis, which is yeah. great, but also made this tricky. So there's things that are exceptional and weird about my circumstances, but everybody's everybody's going through something exceptional and weird right now, kind of collectively. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So so thank you very much for sharing everything that you did. Yeah, you're it welcome. was um yeah, I th- I think um I've been I've been surprised when I've heard some some feedback on some of the episodes that I had no idea that people can experience this. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, no, this is, this is, we need to share these stories yeah. and make it public rather than something that we just sort of like try to cover over and hide. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm like, yeah, it's been a year. <laughs> 